the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch in Syria. God speaks and sets them apart to be sent out as missionaries to the Gentiles. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 13, verse 2. Once again, that's Acts chapter 13, verse 2. The job of a pastor, the job of a Bible teacher is to help people to understand what it means. And Nehemiah 8.8, I think it gives a great description of this role. It says, so they read in the book of the law of God distinctly, and they gave the sense, and they caused them to understand the reading. Doesn't that sound like a good approach to teach in the Bible? Have you ever had that where somebody reads it, just they read a passage and you go, oh, that makes way more sense. I had the greatest pastor. Pastor Chuck would teach and he would cover sometimes 10 Psalms in one Bible study. And he would go through the Psalm and he wouldn't hardly even comment on it. He'd go, oh, praise the Lord. And he'd go on to the next one. But here's the thing, though. He read it in such a way that the inflection of words was in the right spot so that as you heard him read it, you understood the passage. It's crazy. He would read it, and it would just light up for you, and it would come to life, and you'd understand it in a way you never had before. It's because he knew it. He was intimate with it. He understood it. He had applied it to his life, and so when he read it, he read it with personal conviction, with personal passion, with personal application. It wasn't just words on a page, it was words from his heart. He knew it, and when he read distinctly, people understood it better. He didn't have to make a comment. Now, the way the Greek is constructed here, it shows who were the prophets and who were the teachers. It shows that Barnabas, Simeon, and Lucius were the prophets, Manan and Saul were the teachers, which I think is interesting. Saul was not a prophetic type of person. He was more of a teacher, and that was more of where he felt comfortable with. He loved that role. He loved, of course, being out and sharing his faith, particularly with the Gentiles. But uh, the thing that he really enjoyed was discipling believers, teaching them the Bible and helping them to understand it. Now, of course, Saul and Barnabas stand out. We don't know who these other guys are because the story is going to leave these guys shortly and it's going to go right to Barnabas and Saul and follow them. But it, it shows us here that God knew their names and he knew what they did in the church. And he valued the role that they played there at Antioch. Do you know that God values the work that you do here at Calvary Chapel, Orlando? Or if you're visiting with us at your home church, do you know that he values it? Even if nobody here ever shook your hand and said, thank you, and I hope we do, but even if nobody ever did, if nobody gave you a hug and said, I appreciate you, do you know that the Lord values all the work that you do? He sees, keep being faithful. Verse two, 
It says, well, lastly here, Manan here, it says he brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And that's interesting because it means a lot of times when you were a, a government official, if you had an in with that government official, your kids were all raised by the same tutors. They were all raised by the same trainers and whatnot. And so you would live oftentimes in that palace or in that place where the governor would reside. All the kids would live there because they'd be brought up by these tutors. And so they're almost like foster sons. And so this guy was a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch when he was younger. And this shows that the gospel had penetrated even the upper levels of society and not just the poor. The gospel's for everyone because everybody needs a savior. Amen? <laughs> well, verse two, these leaders, these guys here, these prophets and these teachers, what do we find them doing? Verse two, it says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. These guys set aside a time of worship and prayer. The word there, ministered, our word liturgy grows out of this usage. It means the performance of worship and prayer. So these five guys, they decided to gather together regularly to bless the Lord and to seek his face. And in preparation for this time of seeking God, they would fast beforehand. So they'd fast before and they'd come together and their whole heart is, I don't know if like Saul got out the mandolin or whatever, or Lucius got out the harp. I don't know what they did or if they just did it a cappella. and they would just worship the Lord. They would declare his greatness and they'd seek his face. And I love that. In fact, this passage here in chapter 13, verses one through three here is probably my heart more than anything else for what I want our church to be. Notice here, it says they ministered to the Lord, not for the Lord. Yes, they wanted to hear from God and they were doing it also because they wanted to seek his face. They wanted him to speak back, but it was primarily a time to pour out their love to him. And let me ask you a question. Do you have a time where you worship God each day, where you just pour out your heart to him? I'm not just talking about singing. I'm talking about, we just tell him how great he is. I like to pray in the morning. I'll go outside on the porch sometimes, or I'll do it in the bedroom or in the shower. Or I'll usually continue it in the car. And you've got kind of your routine. You know, I've got I've to pray for me and my family and want to pray for the church and people in the church and pray for missions and pray for my lost friends who need the Lord or people I know that need the Lord. And uh, sometimes you just kind of get going in the routine. I'll be in the car driving down here and the Lord will be like, hey, uh, remember me? And you just begin to tell him how great he is. Tell him how thankful you are. Tell him how wonderful he is. Talk about all his attributes. Do you have a time where you worship God each day where you pour out your heart to him? Do you have a group that you intimately worship God together with and seek his face? As leaders, are we doing that? And if you lead a ministry here at Calvary Chapel Orlando, do you have your team? Do you gather with them just for the purpose of ministering to the Lord? You do a lot of ministry. We all do for the Lord, right? But do we take time to minister to the Lord? We've been called into relationship with him and with one another before anything else that we can do for him. And so it's far more important, our relationship with one another and him than anything we can do for him. Now, real quick, it mentions here that they had fasted as well as ministering unto the Lord. They were fasting in preparation for this time of worship. What is fasting? Well, fasting is when we go without food for a set period of time to seek the Lord. And I say, why would any reasonable person ever do that? <laughs> well, every time your body reminds you that it's hungry, it's a time where you can tell your body you're not in charge. My spirit's in charge, the part of me that fellowships with God. Remember, we were going through Genesis, and I talked about how God made us in his image. He made us similar to him, and man is an inferior trinity, body, soul, and spirit. And when God originally designed us, it was with the spirit in charge, the soul in subjection to the spirit, and then the body in subjection to all those. 
The idea is that the part of us that fellowships with the Lord is in submission to him. It's on top. It's what runs our lives. But when we sin, when Adam and Eve sinned and how we're born into this world, our spirit is dead. We come into this world spiritually dead. The part of us that fellowships with God, dead. And so when we are saved, we're born again. That's why it's called born again or born from above, spiritually born, is that our spirit is quickened, Ephesians says. It's brought back to life. And now begins the battle of rearranging that thing, of the spirit now, God trying to conform us to his image so it's in charge and the body is on the bottom again. And in fasting, we're basically taking a moment where we're saying, this is the case. Body, you are not in charge. The part of me that wants to hear from God, the part of me that fellowships with God, that is in charge. So it's to tune my spiritual ear to his voice that I might be more yielded to him in an area or areas of my life. Oftentimes we'll fast and pray to seek the Lord. I don't know what to do, Lord. I want to hear your voice clearly. I need to get this thing out of the way. Now, fasting is sadly an often neglected part of American Christianity. You won't hear it taught very much, but Jesus taught that it should be a regular practice in our lives. In Matthew chapter 6 on the Sermon on the Mount, He said these words, starting in verse 16, he said, moreover, when you fast, don't be as the hypocrites. You notice he doesn't say if you fast. He says, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have the reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that you appear not unto men to fast, but unto your father, which is in secret, and your father, which sees in secret, shall reward you openly. So, It should never be used as a way for me to display my personal piety to others, but we should be doing it. How many times do we make bad decisions because we don't take time to really seek the Lord, to really hear his voice, to get direction from him? Well, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, we see that God ministers back to them because you know what? The Bible says God's a debtor to no man. You can never get on the side where he owes you something. And so he's always, always out blessing us. And so it says here that the Holy Ghost said, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. Okay, so how did the Holy Spirit do that? Was there this booming voice that said, hey guys, Barnabas and Saul, send them out. Most likely, and what most Bible commentators believe is that the Spirit spoke this through one of them. In other words, the Spirit gave them the ability to understand that God had something unique and special he wanted to do in their life. And he spoke through them in a way that one of them said, hey guys, as we've been worshiping God and we've been praying, I feel like the Lord has put it on my heart to say that Barnabas and Saul, you guys have a special work that he wants you to do and that you guys need to leave here and go do it. Does God do that? I hope so. I hope so. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, that the Spirit speaks expressly or clearly to him about the latter times. And he gave a whole rundown. The Bible urges us, every letter of Revelation, the last book of the New Testament, you would think if that was the end, it would say, and and God doesn't speak anymore these days. You would think that it would say, now hear what the Spirit says to the church, but only for a few more years. Because once this book is done, you can't hear anymore because he doesn't speak anymore. But here we see to every letter of every church there, the very closing of it is, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So that means while they worshiped and prayed to the Lord, he decided to minister back and said something to one of them. And this is not something that's new to the church at Antioch. I'm going to read to you a bunch of verses so you can write them down, study them later, to look them up. But in Isaiah chapter 48, verse 17 
It says this, thus says the Lord, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God, which teaches you to profit, which leads you by the way that you should go. One of the most common questions I hear from Christians is, how do you hear God's voice or how do you know God's will? I remember I was down in Peru with a short-term mission trip down there, and we were conversing about how we'd heard a lot of Christians, I don't ever hear God speak. I don't know about you, he's talking to me all day. Do you really think that was the best way to talk to your wife? Do you really think that's how you should handle it with the kids? Hey, I wanted you to share the gospel with that person. He's talking to me all the time. And the kids, the same thing. My kids will come to me and say, Dad, I don't know if I hear God's voice. I said, I'm pretty sure you did. (laughs) About two hours ago when you had to sit down at the dining room table. You remember when we confronted you about this or you were kind of mouthing off a little bit to mom? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, was it maybe the Lord telling you, you hear this little voice in your head saying, don't do that. Oh yeah, that was the Lord. That was the Lord. Psalm 25, verses eight and nine. Again, you can write that verse down, Psalm 25, eight and nine. And I'm just scratching the surface here, guys. I'm not, there's so many verses that talk about God leading us and speaking into our lives. Psalm 25, eight and nine, it says, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, will he teach sinners in the way, the meek or the humble, those will he guide in judgment and the meek will he teach his way. God speaks to me through his word. This thing's alive, man. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. I open this thing up and it gets me every day. There's something I need to change. There's something I need to know. There's something I need to receive. This is an attribute of God I need to embrace. Psalm 143, verses eight through 10. It says, cause me to hear. This is David praying. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning. For in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk. For I lift up my soul unto you. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. I flee unto you to hide me. So teach me to do thy will. For you are my God. Your spirit is good. And lead me into the land of uprightness. Jesus confirmed this in the New Testament when he said of the Holy Spirit, In John chapter 16, verses 13 through 15, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, said I, that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Still, you say, well, I, I get it. I see that the Bible teaches this, but how do I know that that voice originates from the Lord and not me? In Isaiah 30, 21, it says, this is how you'll know. It says, you'll hear this voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. How do you know it's him? Well, first off, what does the Bible say, right? The spirit of God's never gonna speak in opposition to the word. I had a man tell me once, he said, God gave me permission to commit adultery against my wife right before we asked him to leave the church, we explained to him that God would never do that. He would never do that. Why would God tell you something when we already know he said things this way? Now, if the Bible tells you to do it, then you know it's the Lord. God, I'm not sure if you want me to share the gospel with my coworker. And you feel like he's prompting you to do that. Pretty sure you can know because he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So that's the first way. How can you know that that voice originates from the Lord and not yourself? Well, what does the Bible say? If it's not that clear biblically, well, you can even go to biblical principles. God, I don't, I don't, do you want me to help this person now? I feel like you're prompting me to give a dollar to this guy who's in the middle of the road. 
Well, the Bible talks about us taking care of the poor and ministering to, to those who are hurting and reaching out to those who are struggling. So I, I think you're on good ground if you say, I feel like the Lord wanted me to do that. Number two, what do trusted godly counselors say? If it matches up with the word and it matches up with the principles, but you're not sure the timing's right, what do godly counselors say? The Bible says there's wisdom in many counselors. Number three, are you walking in the will of God right now? Jesus said you should know the works of God by doing them. In other words, oftentimes I will find myself in the center of God's unknown will because I'm doing the things that he's already revealed to me in his word. Remember the servant that Abraham sent off to go find a wife for Isaac? I mean, that's a crazy story when you think about it. I'm gonna travel 350 miles to go find a lady who's never met him, but I'm gonna bring her home to be a wife. Now, I know the culture was a little different back then, but that doesn't mean they didn't have a say. Hey, Dad, I, I, you know, I, I know you want to take care of me and stuff, and this guy sounds like he's wealthy, but what if he's got like seven eyes and one arm? And, you know, I don't know about this, Dad. Dad could say, okay, sweetie, I don't, you don't want to have to marry a guy you've never met in your entire life and lives 350 miles away, and you might just become his slave. And none of us would ever know, because there's no internet or WikiLeaks or anything like that these days. But he said, I being in the way. See, the one step he knew he was supposed to perform was to go. And in doing what he knew he was supposed to do, he found himself right smack dab in that area that he wasn't sure about. Are you walking in the will of God right now? It's very hard to hear from the times when it's going to require me to step out in faith. It's usually the Lord. (laughs) The Lord generally does not give me a comfortable duty to do. I mean, we have those rare moments when God does, like Peter, when he messed up with the whole temple tax thing. They came to him and said, hey, does your master pay the temple tax? And Peter's like, of course my master pays the temple tax. He comes home and he's like, hey, uh, Jesus, you know, do, uh, do, we, do we pay the temple tax? <laughs> and Jesus had to explain to me, he said, why, why would the children, you know, who pays taxes, the kids or those that are under the power of those who rule, not the sons of the rulers? And he said, but you know what, Peter? He said, why don't you go fishing? And the first fish you find, you're going to have some gold in it. You go pay your tax in mine. That was easy for Peter. That was a piece of cake. Sometimes the Lord does that, but most of the time it requires us to take a step of faith. That's usually how I know it's the Lord's voice. And lastly, have you continually sought the Lord about this issue? Those of us who, and this would not be me, I'm I'm the one that God has to hit with a two by four. But those of us who tend to run ahead of the Lord, sometimes we think we hear from the Lord and then we go run with it. And the Lord, I think he wants us to continually seek him about this issue. As we read here in chapter 13 verse 3, it says, and when they had fasted and prayed. In other words, after they heard from the Lord, they kept praying and they kept fasting. They kept seeking his face. So they didn't just rush into something. They sought him continually to make sure it was the Lord. And that's a question you have to ask yourself. Is this really the Lord? Well, keep seeking him. Keep asking. If you get the same answer, it's probably him. Now, real quick, this verse, verse 2 right here is the heart in Calvary Chapel behind what we would call an afterglow service or believers meeting. And, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. I don't know if that word even gives you the heebie-jeebies. You know, what is that? I hope we never do one of those, you know. But the idea here is that it's not something that occurs during a normal service time. It's a special set-apart time to minister to him, a time of worship and prayer. And prayer includes listening, which means he might speak to us as well. Now, The way I've always approached an afterglow service is it's not usually during a Sunday morning, Sunday evening. We'll pick a different night. It's a time we just gather, the worship band or a worship leader, whatever, we'll gather together and they'll lead us in worship. And if we just end up telling God how great he is for 45 minutes in this intimate time of music and prayer, and that's it, then we've achieved our goal. We've ministered to him. But I have found that God's heart is so touched in those moments very often he wants to minister 
to us as well. And that's, if you've ever heard about that in Calvary Chapel, or maybe you've been a part of those, that's where this comes from, is this idea of ministering to the Lord. And in this particular case, what did the Holy Spirit say, or what did he minister? Well, he calls Barnabas and Saul to a foreign mission field from Antioch. Separate unto me, or set Paul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas aside for this particular task or function. Set them aside to the work whereto I have called them. Let me ask you a question. This word called, it means to urgently invite someone to accept the responsibility for a particular task. I like that. Has God urgently invited you to accept responsibility for some task? Have you embraced that responsibility yet? We need to. If God calls us, we need to. And so when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. The Spirit spoke, but as I said, they continued to come together to seek the Lord to validate this invitation of the Lord for them to this new ministry. And only upon being convinced through more prayer and fasting did they act upon what was said in their time of worship. And so once they did, they realized they felt like this is the Lord. It says they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. Now, the laying on of hands, the right hand is always associated in Scripture with power and authority. To lay hands on someone is to recognize the authority of God that has appointed someone to this important commission. It's used during the ordination for elders or deacons or when new ministries are started, like missions or church plants. We lay hands on that person, and we we are recognizing what God has called them to do. And in that sense, we are supporting them and ratifying it after the fact. And so it says they laid their hands on them, and I love this. They sent them away. The word there literally means they set them free or they released them to this ministry. They supported them in it. And we should support one another when God calls us to ministries. So, verse 4, they, being sent forth by the Holy Spirit on this task, they departed unto Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Seleucia would be the Mediterranean port closest to Antioch of Syria, about five miles north of that church there at Antioch. And it says they sailed to Cyprus. Now, that would be a great starting point. I imagine they probably said, where do we start? And they said, well, you know, I don't know if Tarsus is the greatest place. I've been there for the last seven or eight years sharing the gospel with everybody I know there. So how about we pick a place we've never been to? And Barnabas is thinking Cyprus would probably be great. He was familiar with the island due to living there for most of his life. And yet it would be largely unevangelized since he only returned there to sell his land, right? Remember, sold his land, came back and laid the money at the apostles' feet. So it made more sense to go there than Tarsus, so they go there. In fact, they never go to Tarsus. Again, shows you probably how effective Paul was when he was just living there in obscurity. And so here we see the church at Antioch sending out missions as Jesus commanded. And when they were at Salamis, that's a seaport city there on the eastern shore of Cyprus, it had the largest Jewish community on any city of Cyprus, which is probably why they went there. And so it says they did just that. They preached the word of God. They proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. It means they continue to do this week after week. And there they also had John to their minister. And this will become the pattern of all missions work for the book of Acts. They'll find the Jews in the city first. They'll go to the synagogue if they have one. And they'll announce the good news about Jesus Christ to them first. And while Jesus is the savior of the world, he is the Jewish Messiah, right? And so the early Christians felt they needed to hear the news first before they'd bring it to the Gentiles. Romans 1.16, Paul says that phrase, which we'll see continually through the New Testament, to the Jew first and then to the Greek, right? That's how they approached it. They believed they needed to hear the news first. But it's interesting, Paul was very strategic because that was probably the best way to do it because not only would there be Jews there, but there would be God-fearing Gentiles who would be in the back of the synagogue who would hear it as well. And that would kind of become his bridge, 
He would become his bridge to the Gentiles. He would begin to minister to them. And then those Gentiles who received the Lord, they would become those that would begin to spread the news about Jesus. And that's where a church would start. And so uh, Paul, that's just how he did it. He thought it was best and seems like a pretty good plan to me. And it says they had John there, Mark, as their minister. The word there means an under rower on a boat. In classical Greek, it was used of an aide to a military commander. And it came to mean assistance. So he was basically whatever Paul and Barnabas needed done that they couldn't get done, they sent him out to do it. And that's good training ground for anyone who has a heart for ministry. So anyway, we are out of time. So we'll stop here at verse 5. But you know what? There's only one God. It's not Herod. It's not you. It's not any other man. There's only one Lord, one to whom we owe our devotion, one who is worthy of our ministry, our worship, our prayers to him. And so that's my exhortation. Let's worship him. Amen. Lord, you are our God. You're our king, our one master. And Lord, we don't want to have another master. We don't want to have something that's constantly tugging and pulling on our hearts for something else, Lord. Whatever that might be, a job or money or an idea of life, a hobby, Lord. We want to just be yielded to you. Lord, ministering to you, just telling you how awesome you are, worshiping you. Lord, you're so worthy. As we close with song and as we go forth from here, would you just remind us each and every day of all that you've done for us, all the goodness that you've brought into our lives, the great salvation that you've given to us. We might always pour out our hearts to you to tell you how great you are. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407 523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.